You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. This is Music Biz 101 more Bravery Radio, 88.7 WPSC, and you're listening to Music Biz 101 more. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with your wonderful professor, Dr. Esteban. The season is ending tonight. This is our last live yes. show. How many years is this? This is the end of season five. Really? I think it's, it's year four, but season five or six, depending <laughs> upon. Wow. Like American Idol was on for like ten years and seventy nine seasons, something yes, like that. Yes. So, really? Um, yes. Yeah, like Dancing with the Stars. Oh yeah. Is on like they're like the now compilations are like one hundred and fifty <laughs> seasons. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So um, anyway, so the, w- that guy you just talked—that's Nick Spiller. He's hello, our, hello, Nick. Yes. It's good to have Nick here. Let's What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Should be back hand. for the hundredth time, but I love it here. So. I know, yeah. Nick has been our away. co-host three the last four times. <laughs> and then uh, Marconi can't hear our voices on the. Are you texting? I'm working okay. on it. Okay, <laughs> so the working on it gal is Christina Roof, and she is our engineer for the night. Yes, Ashley, Christina. Yes, you roll those R's, Christina. You roll those R's. There we go. That's it. We have a great guest who's going to call in any minute, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Brian, Sh- Brian Schechter, manager of the band Palisades, former ma- manager of My Chemical Romance. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be actually, this is going to be the best show ever, Dr. Esteban. I hope so. It better be. And we should remind you, go to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for our newsletter, read our stuff, follow us to, to see the stuff that we post because it's amazing, at musicbiz101wp, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Our podcasts are always there for you to listen to on Stitcher. I'm sorry, on SoundCloud and on iTunes. And we want to give thanks real quick to our friends at uh, Van Dyne Bruno and White Hat Management. Mm -hmm. Because they have artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB VB CPA.com when you're ready. We right. want to, again, give thanks to Rob Fusari. We want to give congratulations to Brave New Radio, being num- named the number one college radio station in America, again, by the Intercollegiate Broadcasting System. And by Managing Your Band, 6th edition, out June 6th. Your yes, Lord, getting close now. Yes, getting close to us. And if you're listening to the podcast, it's out. Go to Amazon and buy it. And I believe, and we all believe, that our guest, Brian, has called in. Brian Schechter, have you called in, my man? Brian, are you there? Still don't hear him. Brian, if you hear us blink once, <laughs> <laughs> Brian, Brian is a, a great guy. Brian has, has his own company. It's called Riot Squad Management. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, uh, like we mentioned earlier, uh, managed My Chemical Romance early on, a New Jersey-based band. A couple of you may have heard of that. Uh, he manages uh, Palisades, another Jersey-based band. Brian's based on the West Coast. So we're going to talk about that. going to talk about Riot Squad. Uh, he just became a father on December 31st oh, for the first that's awesome. time. That's right. So he got the baby in one of the last uh, Very nice. 2016 babies interning out there. Brian, are you there? Yes. 
Brian. We are working on it. There we go. Brian, we hear you. Oh, hey. Thank you for your persistence. It was uh, very good of you to... Christina, turn him up for me. Marconi can't hear him. I can't hear him. As managers, we have to be persistent. I was just going to say, what you just did was lesson number one about being an artist manager. (laughs) So thank you. So I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. You and I have spoken and emailed. And uh, I need to introduce you to Dr. Esteban Marconi. Yes, that is I. (laughs) Hello, Dr. Oh, okay. Now I can hear you. Yes. Ah, this could be there a good go. interview yeah. now. Now it's going to be a great interview, Brian. This, <laughs> Brian, now this is probably going to be the best interview you have ever done in your life. It, you know, it's one of probably three. So <laughs> I it, think there we go. We have a 33 and a third percent chance. There we go. It's, it's like, a, like a record, like a single. Well, I want to introduce you also to uh, to Nick Spillert, who is our student co-host, who's uh, here with us. Nick, say hello to Brian. Hey, Brian. What's going on? Hi, Nick. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you guys as well. Well, great. So this has started out really well. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Brian, thanks again for calling in. Yeah. We did a whole intro uh, about Riot Squad management and, you know, uh, who you used to manage, who you manage now, um, and that baby Olivia was born on December 31st. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations to you. Yeah, baby Olive. Oh, Olive. Olive, Olive James. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, you should uh, change the name to Olivia because that's what I've written down here. It'd be easier for me if you could. Okay, well, I'll her. put that in process now. Yeah, uh, but I'm sure the old lady will be really happy about that. Yeah, so, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Brian married a woman who's 97 years old. Wow. Yeah. And Ned just had yeah. a baby. <laughs> wow. Very old-fashioned. It doesn't like the name change thing. So. <laughs> right. Right. So, All right. We're gonna. It's an uphill battle. So when you and I spoke on on the phone um, about a month ago, one thing that we t- we talked about uh, that you thought might be cool to, to get into right off the bat was you've been at the bottom, you know, at the the beginning with a struggling band, you've been at the top with a successful band, and then you've been back down. I don't want to say at the bottom as as if you've you know fallen off a cliff, but then you've you've started from from the bottom again. I guess you could say. Um, could you kind of talk about your uh, your journey? And where you started, how far you got, where you are right now, and and how you're feeling. Sure. Um, yeah. So I start. I mean, I started a long, long time ago, and I started as a guitar tech um, out on the road with bands, making sure that that was all on the up and up. And then I moved into road management uh, about five years into that. I would suppose. Five, yeah, five or six years later, I became a road manager. So, in going from the bottom to the top is very similar. I started, you know, with a, a rock band from Detroit, and then ended as a guitar tech. I think my last tech job was with Tracy Chapman, um, and then for road management, I went from like buses and four-star hotels back to to vans and trailers, um, and a substantial pay cut uh, because I I knew kind of the path I wanted to be on and I knew that wasn't, you know, slinging guitars for the rest of my life. Um, and then as a road manager, I kind of went through the same iteration. I, I started at the bottom in vans and trailers and moved my way up into buses again. And then, um, back when this little thing called the internet started, I heard a band, an MP, I had to download an MP3 from this site called the scout.net at that point. Um, and it was a band called My Chemical Romance. And I <clears throat> reached out to them and I flew to see them on a day off and uh, and knew, you know, 
immediately I walked out, I, I actually had somebody from Q Prime at that point went with me to the show and we walked out and he was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't really know. And I said, I do, you need to get out of my way. You know, like I know exactly what I want to do with that. And, and so about six months later or so, yeah, cause that was August and, and it was in February, uh, of 2003, we must, yeah, 2003, it became official. And, uh, and that was my first management client was my chemical romance. So, I still road managed for a while and I was out with the used at that point and um, the singer of the used took a, a liking to the band, to my chem, and so we had them out and I funded most of it and spent most of my savings um, at that point on their career as well and, uh, and I guess that worked, right? <laughs> and so that thing kind of went from, you know, the, the headline tour they did before making their first record for Reprise was a co-headline thing with a band called A Static Lullaby. And they played, I think there were like 12 people at some of the shows, and, and like maybe the biggest show was like 100 people, um, which was a huge success at that point. And I think everybody, you know, had enough money to get a hotel room or something that night. Um, and then it just kind of went and it worked and worked and worked. And I built a company on the backside of that, and I picked up Circus Survive. You know, similar story. The first time I saw Circus Survive was at, um, I don't know if it was Skate and Surf or Bamboozle at that point. It was the, the same <laughs> festival down at As, Asbury. Um, and I saw it, and it was just them and, and Matt Galley and I were the only ones watching their booking agent. We were the only people watching them, I think. Uh, um, it was an outdoor stage. It was really, you know, silly, but... Um, lo and behold, they, they still have a career doing, you know, I think they're co-headlining with AFI this summer. And then I don't know if it's announced what they're doing after that, but I, I know what they're doing in the fall and it's another big tour, um, co-headlining and, you know, it'll be 3000 tickets everywhere. And so that's a, a sustainable business model for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that all kind of this thing, the black parade cycle for my cam came, I had, a staff of eight at Riot Squad and uh, a lot of overhead and expenses and craziness and, and the Black Parade cycle came and went and, you know, the My Chem guys and I parted ways and about four months after that I decided I didn't want to run a company anymore. I didn't like that overhead. I didn't like the kind of nonsense with running a business that some people enjoy and I just don't. And so I retired and shut everything down and I walked away from it all and I bought an RV and I went and traveled and I did a bunch of things that I'd always wanted to do and I took up skydiving and a bunch of crazy stuff and then I don't know a year and a half ago or so I kind of waded back into the swamp and uh, and a friend of mine introduced me to Palisades and I guess that was about two years ago they introduced me and I didn't, I wasn't on board with that band yet. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't want to manage necessarily again, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew that I saw five kids from New Jersey that really wanted to succeed, and I'd kind of seen that movie before. So I, I talked to them a bunch, and, and I guess it was another, it must have been September that I saw them of 2015. 
And then come March, April 2016, I was managing them. And uh, and here we are again, right? And that band is on the up and up now. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they're about to go out this summer with 1OK Rock and set it off. And they have Reading and Leeds. And then they have um, Rock Republic and Life is Beautiful. Right? Or Louder Than Life it is. I'm sorry, Life is Beautiful is the biggest... Louder Than Life Festival is coming up. Like, there's just, it's on this trajectory now that we can see that that band has never been on before. And that's really exciting for us because, you know, they deserve it. I think any artist that wants to put in that hard work deserves that opportunity. And if I can provide some service to that, then that's what I do. And so now I have that. I have another band called Silent Rival. And we just put that record out on May 12th. And that's building nice and slowly and steadily the way it's supposed to. Uh, and that's really it. I have some consultancies that I do, and then I have uh, some other things I'm working on. So uh, let's get back to the first time you heard My Chemical Romance. What attracted you? Why did you pick that band? Um, it was just unique, right? There was mm-hmm. just something about first song I ever heard was called Vampires Will Never Hurt You. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was brilliantly titled. I thought the lyrics were great. The melody and the delivery were great. And, you know, the guitar playing, the writing on it, everything, it's, you know, it's really rare, and I guess that's probably worth noting as well to find a band like that at that stage that has a great vision on the music side and the creative side and the visual side um, and also has the, the want and the drive, right? Because it's, especially now, it's the internet is a beautiful, beautiful tool, um, but it's also very, it, it's convoluted things and, and clogged up the arteries a whole bunch, right? Because mm-hmm. it's really easy for an artist to track a song and distribute that music and get coverage on it um, from 15 different blogs that have 72 followers on Facebook, right? So all of a sudden that that just kind of clogs that stream and it, it dilutes the sample, right? The, the mm-hmm. sample size becomes larger and full of other things. So with my cam, it was definitely, I mean, seeing them live the first time at Maxwell's in Hoboken was an experience that I can never forget, nor ever will. Um, it was people that, you know, it was five kids on stage that were just, just, it was just love, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't about any pretense. It wasn't about, um, you know, how many Facebook followers they had because that didn't exist at that point. It was, it wasn't about uh, how much money they were making. It wasn't about how many people were in the crowd. I think there could have, I think there were maybe 30 people there and there could have been two there and they would have played the exact same way. Uh, All right. And, and, by the way, they played the exact same way to 30,000 people in Vietnam or, you know what I'm right. saying? So yeah, sure. that, or Mexico City to 17,000 people. Like, there's there's so many things about that. And, and people talk about, I guess, the it factor or the X factor and those kinds of things. And I, I genuinely will not work with an artist if I don't see that in them, right? Mm-hmm. That desire that's just more than the next person. So they're having success. And how did you put up with the personnel changes? I mean, did you have input? Did you 
<laughs> Sound of getting nervous because there was this going on or what? Personnel changes meaning. Uh, drummer changes. Drummer. Also, uh, <laughs> with uh, with uh, Gerard's. Uh, yeah. You're going to drag me into that mess. Well, <laughs> reality <laughs> as a manager. I think that, yeah, of course I have input on that on some level, right? And um, the first drummer of that band was um, capable to a point and I think it's much like um, it's analogous to Ringo and Pete Best uh, training camps in football right where the roster starts at 100 people and only the best can make the 53 man squad and there's also put in- you know there's also the other side though that you can always find a better drummer you can always find a better guitar player but as a family or as a band, does that personality fit what was going on? Well, there's 100% that to draw in. Not only does that personality, does the personality surrounding that fit what's going on, meaning mm-hmm. the girlfriends or the parents or the extended family. Sure. Um, and what distractions does that cause? Um, does the does the playing warrant certain overlooking of those mm-hmm. things or, mm-hmm. you know, the oversights of other things that are happening? And, mm-hmm. and I think in that instance, um, it's particularly the, the conversations were had multiple times. Um, change wasn't coming and it, it, change then became forced, right? Unfortunately. And it was, it wasn't fun. That's that kind of stuff isn't fun to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. To, to watch somebody hold themselves back potentially or to watch others um, be held back as a result of one individual, right? And that happens frequently. Um, and I don't think, you know, again, I think that that one instance in that case for the first drummer was necessary. I think that as time went, um, the proof became in the pudding and, and the internal the genetics and just the, the kind of makeup of the band and the chemistry um, it skyrocketed. Right? Mm-hmm. So you saw somebody come in who, uh, Bob, the, the drummer who replaced that drummer, right. had been a front of house sound guy um, for the used. And I had seen him play drums one time in Japan. He played along with, I think, a Refuse song or an At The Gate song or something. And it was incredible to watch. So he came in, and all of a sudden, he had nothing but appreciation for what was happening because he, he stepped right into it. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, the band was uh, the singles were already doing well at radio, and it was starting to take off. And he never he put in his time and his grind on a different side of the coin. But he also added value of having worldwide touring experience. Um, on top of being a great musician and a loyal and great human being, right? Mm-hmm. So it just worked. And that was that instance. And there were some instances later on down the line that, that didn't work out so well, I think, for them. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't involved as much in the later ones because I was already gone on, on one level. All right. um, and I think that also sometimes artists believe that you know, they are the key to that, and they don't realize that the sum is greater than the parts in some instances, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay, too. And they're allowed to, right? Mm-hmm. 
right? They, they earn themselves that right as being um, founding members or people in a band that believe one thing. So if ethos change somewhere along the lines, that's totally okay. And I think for people to think that it's not okay is crazy. Um, so if they just, you know, had some, some member changes in between the two record cycles. And it was a similar thing where the person that came in just appreciated the opportunity way more. Brandon, the new bass player, is an amazing singer. He's an amazing bass player. He's a contributor. Mm-hmm. He's a team player. He fits as far as personality goes. They've welcomed him now, and that's on his side. So the other four have also welcomed him into the family, right, and made him one of theirs. And that's a really amazing thing to watch, too, because mm-hmm. you take somebody who was maybe alone in their in their head at a certain level and put them in a position where now they're supported to be the greatest they can be, right? Yeah, so now on the business side, was did the band buy him out? Let's say the first drummer when Bob came in. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the business side, what happened there, and I'll, I'll speak lightly about it because I don't know how much of it's fair for me to talk about. But did they have um, an agreement? Did what they have I, a written agreement? What, yeah, there was a written agreement that was reached. There were, you know, there was a legal struggle back and forth a little bit. But what I can say is I know in my heart that that person was treated fairly at the end of the deal. And, and I know that um, Bob came in and was treated as fairly because it, so that record came out in June of 2004 and I think the change happened in August so you know Matt um, at that point had contributed greatly to the band's rise had written music with them and parts for these songs and was treated fairly but at the same time Bob came in and was responsible for performing that and, and helping to exploit those in a good way uh, exploit mark keep the marketability train on the track right because playing live is, is still the greatest marketer for music mm-hmm. um so he needed to be treated fairly as well so there were two concurrent agreements happening uh revolving around the same um, piece of pie right there's there's only one pie there's a limited amount of that so i do know that they reached a business agreement with matt that that everybody felt was fair including matt and as a lawyer and I know that Bob was treated extra fairly as well. Mm-hmm. What was the uh, the like the main differences between like managing MCR between um, Revenge and uh, the Black Parade? More people in the conference room, I think, is is probably <laughs> like the big. You know, um, you know, Re- Revenge was so it was me, obviously, Craig Aronson, rest of soul. Um, and then a guy named Jeff Watson, who was the new media specialist, Brian Bumbury was the publicist, Lynn McDonald and Phil Costello, uh, ran the promo staff and really, and then Michael Nance did international and Devin Sarno ran the video stuff. So that was kind of the squad there. Right. And. You know, we would go and we'd have a meeting in Xavier Ramos's office. Xavier, obviously, he was the product manager and he was a heavy, heavy lifter for this band. And so, but we would huddle in an office and we would all sit comfortably between the two couches and one desk, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, the Black Parade was written, and you know, and by the the end of Revenge, we had started moving into conference room. But then, I still remember walking in uh, the first conference about the Black Parade cycle. 
and literally, I don't know if anybody was still in their offices, right? It was, it was literally chairs lining the walls and every seat at the table is all full. And so that, that's probably, uh, from my side, the fundamental difference is you just have to manage more human beings, right? And. And, and not to mention more territories globally. So we can currently release everywhere in the world with the Black Parade cycle, whereas Revenge, until the Black Parade cycle, Revenge had only been released in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and on the end of that, um, Japan. So, you know, you're, you're really dealing with a small sample of human beings that are, are relatively easy to manage because you're dealing with the U.S. side and then Michael Nance is handling all the U.K. companies because that's just his relationships. And we would go over there and, and sit in the offices in the U.K. or sit in the offices in um, Japan when we went there. But for the most part, I think they went and played like... They played a... Uh, excuse me. It was a hotel at Niagara Falls on like this weird balcony for the Canadian music company at that point. And that was like the weirdest, most corporate feeling in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, and it was fine in the end, but you know, that was, those were the things we were doing. Now, when we go back for the black parade cycle, again, everybody under the sun has jumped on the credit wagon and wants some sort of something from somewhere. Yeah. And mo mostly what I think they're looking for is acknowledgement and our, access to the band and or participation or you know looking good for their bosses for the most part and that's okay right because it takes a village to build something like that so that's the biggest difference i would say um with the amount of you know the amount of emails and the amount of people involved I, there's a point where i was getting about 900 emails a day right mm. Wow. That's just that's not possible to actually manage that. Yeah. There's, there's not enough time in the day. So delegation became important. It wasn't my strongest suit. I'm a pretty control freaky um, dude and about hmm. most things that have to do with it um, because I believe what I believe. And, and sometimes that's proven way wrong and sometimes that's proven way right. And hopefully they balance out more on the right side than the wrong side. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, now, you mentioned you had a staff of eight with your company at the at the height. Is that mm -hmm. is that because you were dealing with so many other people around the world on the label side, on the agent side, all that? Or what were all these people doing? No, and it should have been right. Looked, you know, so one of my greatest mistakes is, is that one of my greatest mistakes is that I didn't in, empower my staff to be the greatest they could be and help me the most they could help, right? So most of that was dealing with other artists that we were bringing in because I had this vision for what Riot Squad was going to be. And what I should have done is that I should have brought people in that were specifically meant to deal with the promotions, specifically meant to deal with the logistics, specifically meant to deal with international. Um, and I didn't do that, right? And had I done that and, and empowered them, it surely would have ended differently on some level, but I don't know what that would have looked like, so I can't look too far back at it. Um, but no, so, so those people all had their own bands, and they all had their own clients, and, and we're also representative. What is going on there? We, we just hear feedback. 
Are, yeah. are you on yeah. speakerphone by any chance? Uh, <laughs> are you on a speakerphone? What's phone? that? Are you on a speakerphone? I'm not. No. no. Oh. Okay. Oh. okay. Maybe it's your dog. <laughs> not my dog. Uh, I'm looking around like maybe it's it was me bouncing the phone around okay. because I'm hyperkinetic. But <laughs> yeah, um, or aliens or the Russians. <laughs> All right, um, the Russians are heavily involved with the negative things going or on. Trump. Or Trump. <laughs> oh, right. He's getting in the way again. Uh, I, he's not in Mar a Lago, by the way. He's not. Sorry, maybe I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been said. Can't take it back. <laughs> What's now the I word? Can... What's the What's the word he tweeted out? Anyway. Oh, um, coffee. I don't even know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm a little uh, interested in um, signing with Reprise mm -hmm. uh, with Revenge. I guess did mm -hmm. did was was Reprise into that music at the time? Yes. So Craig, he so he signed the used. Right, so I I hadn't I'd met him once, and then when he showed up, he showed up at a show I think in Santa Barbara, um, and I had just started working with my chem, and I handed him the CD and I said, "Dude, listen to that on your drive home, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow." By the way, Craig he is called me Craig Aronson. You're talking about the A and R guy for Reprise. That's who you're talking about, right? Yeah, Craig Aronson. Yeah, okay. who, he passed away unfortunately a couple of years back, and that was really a loss to the music industry, right? Because he was so passionate about music and. Anyways, um, he he didn't even make it halfway home before he called me, right? <laughs> and he was all in. And and then there was another guy around that wanted to sign them. I'm not going to mention his name. Um, but he had put a condition on it. He had made them an offer that was substantially more money, about five times the amount. Uh, and that condition was that uh, they would find a different management company. He didn't think I had what it took. Ah. So... Yeah, and, you know, I don't, looking back, I, I don't know if I blame him, right? He has people to answer to as well, and if he's throwing that kind of money around, he needs some he needs some, some ammo with that, I suppose. But, um, I, so I, they, they told me about this, and it came from their lawyer to them, and then we sat down, and it was in Portland, Maine, and I left, and I, I said... If that's what you guys want to do, I'll step away, but we're going to find you the right manager. And I said, I'm going to go to Starbucks, and I'll be back, and you guys think about it. I went to Starbucks, and I had a conversation with a friend, and he was like, no, nah, dude, that's your band. That's not how this works, right? <laughs> and I was like, all right, I get it. And, you know, I'm still green. So I came back, and I said, um, I, I thought about it. You guys are going to sign a reprise. We're not doing that. You know, like the reprise deal is less money, but you'll make more in the end. Mm -hmm. And Frankie said that's what you're supposed to say the first time. And so we signed a reprise. Um, so they were signing. So they had the used. They had, I think, Story of the Year had been signed there, also for the John Feldman thing. And then they signed Mike Hem, and then they signed Avenge. And then. They had I Green Day, too, really at one it. point, I think, right? What's that? They had Green Day, I think, at one point, too. Yeah, well, they had they still have Green Day. Warner does. Yeah, um, yeah. Green Day had been pre-existing. He was Rob Cavallo yeah. signed them, I think, or somebody else had signed them years ago. They had Lincoln Park there. Um, Metallica was in the system there. Mm. Uh, Disturbed. Uh, 
they had enough, but really it came down to Craig's passion and Tom Wally's brain. And Tom is just such a master strategist, in my opinion, and just sees things at 30,000 feet that I would never have seen at that point, right? And mm-hmm. look, I, it's so funny because I flew out to have meetings with both of those companies prior and a few weeks prior to this conversation about uh, managing them when the guy said he wouldn't have me. And I, you know, I read, I had read the Passman book, I don't know how many times over my life. And so I brought it on the plane and I was like taking notes and I was all, I was prepared, right? I had it and I knew and I was going to catch them out on things. And I asked Tom a certain question. He goes, yeah, I can tell you that answer, but I also pay people and have staff that I trust and they're going to have a different version of that answer. So you're going to go around this whole building and you're going to talk to each one of them, right? And that's how that went. And Mm. there's something to be said for that kind of confidence in your staff, right? There's something to be said for... Somebody who says, yeah, I have my version of that, but that I'm not the one doing the work, so I'm not going to put that in front of you. And that's a really great kind of anecdote there is, like, there's so many ways for us in management or music business types to execute something, especially now in 2017-18. Um, there's so many avenues for putting information out and gathering information back, right? Things that we Things that we can't do that, or that we can do that we couldn't do then, and and, and couldn't do going further back in the '90s, '80s, etc. So, um, you know, the the students you guys have in your music business program should be really, really excited about the future. And it, it's so many people try to treat it as a glum lot, right? But it's the music business is awesome. Yeah, you just have to make it awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Right? Like, it's, there's, and there's this misconception, and I said this to a few people over the past few years, there's a misconception that you have to be pulling down 300 grand or 500 grand a year, and that's real money, or like, you, you got to be Drake and pulling down millions. No, like, there's a, there's a lot of awesome life to live making 125 to 150 grand a year, starting at 75 a year or 45 a year and working your way up to that. There's so much wisdom and knowledge you gain in that. And, you know, there were times where I didn't have money to eat, but we made it work, right? And, mm-hmm. and now it's just it's just different. Revenue streams are so much different, and the ability to generate capital for um, releases is so much different, right? There's so many ways people can do it. And the costs associated with that. I made a video last Friday that is going to be on par with the I'm Not Okay video. And that I'm Not Okay video cost us $120,000, $123,000 maybe. Wow. And we spent, I think, $22,000 last Friday. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like it, so it's a fraction, right? one-sixth um, is what we spent for probably, if not, better output the same output um but that also comes down to the song and the band and the performance and the acting and palisades is the same thing we made two videos in a day for a handful of dollars that we could have never done right the last time i did two videos was over three days right so and it cost, <laughs> the last time it cost 960 excuse me and this time it certainly didn't cost that so um you know, the, 
as a music business kind of study, somebody looking at that kind of stuff and the opportunities that exist, it's really about maximizing your returns, right? It's I've never not recouped a record release that's gone out. I've, every record I've ever been at the helm for has always recouped, and I plan on keeping it that way. Um, and, and that's achieved by constantly, you know, spending, recouping, spend a little more, recoup a little more. And I had that conversation this morning about an artist where we've outlaid X amount of dollars. We've recouped, you know, I think it's about 72% of that was the calculation. And so we have 28% more to recoup. So do we need to spend 10% more to get 40% and now we're 8% in profit? I don't know. We're going to figure that out, right? Because it is a business, unfortunately, and you have to you have to get your economics right on it. Um, and I'm just kind of rambling, so excuse me on that. Um, Let me ask you a question about that as it pertains yeah. directly to you, because in the documentary that's on YouTube, Life on the Murder Scene, you mentioned mm -hmm. a couple times about how you had spent your life savings. Uh, for example, uh, on the first uh, My Chem's first European tour, um, you mentioned right. uh, you basically you fronted the money for that tour. I were, did. At the time, were you as organized as you appear to be now? Where you knew exactly how much you were spending, ex and you were accounting for that so that you would get that back? Or, um, what, I don't know was, that. At that point, I don't know that I can account for it to know that I get that back. Mm -hmm. um, I was all in for sure, and I, I totally believed in myself and in that band, right? And I'll tell you, when we pulled into Spain, and there were kids with homemade My Chem shirts that were already in line when the used bus pulled in, and there weren't used fans there yet, <laughs> I knew that I was going to get my money back, mm -hmm. right? Like that's that's actually the point where I was like, all right, keep going, right? So there were little things along the line, along the way that were just reassurances. And I'll tell you, I I got my money back, in fact, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. You were able to I retire, got, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, let me. No, ask I, you. I think I recouped about. I think I got a hundred, about a ninety times return on that investment. Wow. So, that's a real investment, but it, that's also over seven years. So, you know, on average, it makes what? That's about 14 and a half, 14.25 re return a year. Mm -hmm. um, and so you just have to have the, the kind of tenacity and, and patience on that, too, and realize that it's not always going to be that way, right? Did you always go on the road with the band? As much as I had to and then some yes um it got you know i was so hardwired to be on the road that it started becoming a little bit of a hang-up and problematic because i would rather be on the road doing that than back here dealing with what i had to be dealing with and that's where to go back to that staff conversation had i had i structured that properly and enabled them properly and empowered them properly that I would have not had some of the hiccups I had and the growing pains that I went through, um, some of which were necessary, right? But, I mean, geez, the, the Black Parade came out in 2007, right? So I just, I wasn't, I was 29 years old um, in, in 2007 when that record came out. Or maybe, no, I just turned 30 because it came out in October. Um 
you know, so there's a whole lot. I mean, I didn't go to high, I didn't finish high school. I got on a bus as a guitar tech, right? I didn't go to college. I didn't take classes. Everything I learned, I learned from uh, either being on the road or watching. You know, there was a few mentors I had. A guy named Harold Cole, who was the garbage road manager, who used to let me for whatever reason in the um, production office while he did his work. And I would be able to absorb all that stuff. And I think that's because I helped them load their trucks at the end of the night as well. But um, he would, you know, he would teach me things or I would pick up on things. And there's a guy named Tony McElvain with Lit that he was, I was their guitar tech and he was the road manager. And he taught me things. So, you know, there's a lot to learn. Uh, the number one thing for me, right, is culture and building and developing culture. So, um, you really have to, in my opinion, understand sociology. And second to that is economics and the business kind of mantra of, you know, invest, recoup, invest, recoup. Um, and lastly is, is, you know, the one thing I never learned until I had to learn it is that you're going to get fired, right? Like, it's going to happen. And very few artists stay with management their entire career, Right. Um, I don't know that in hindsight, that's probably was the wrong decision at that point. And I should have figured out how to fight that one more, but I was 32 and I had a pile of money and I had a house in the Hills and I had, you know, platinum records on from every country. And I was a little more arrogant than I probably should have been and probably because I used some humility. Right. Um, but yeah, get some thick skin and get some sociology and and some sociological understanding at least and what makes artists tick, right? And and stay in your lane with that, right? I'm not going to go tomorrow and manage Drake or Christina Aguilera or Kelly Clarkson or, you know, any country artist. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to stay in my lane. I understand culture in the lane that I'm in on some level. I'm also a middle-aged white dude at this point. So I have to understand that and recognize that. Um, and you know, the sociopolitical kind of implications that go with that and the artists I work with and they, um, they can't be met with indifference. It has to be met head on. Um, that's, you know, those would be kind of, in a nutshell, the, the most important thing. And I think that everybody has a different opinion. I, When we were trying to connect earlier, I heard you mentioning some people that I've worked with in the past, right? Um, and that either, I guess, have been on or are co- coming on. Um, <clears throat> some of them might want to claim some credit and had nothing to do with certain things. Some of them probably won't claim credit and had a lot to do with things. Uh, everybody is going to have a different approach and if you're going to manage an artist you have to realize that you're it the buck does stop with you you're effectively a coo in a profit participation business you're not getting paid unless the band's getting paid you're not making you know uh your percentage or your commission on a hundred percent gross right there's expenses that have to be backed out first because you have to stand behind those with your your partners right it's a business partnership so you know um, record label have checked, you know, every two weeks that they get paid and they have a 401k and they have benefits. Um, you know, booking agents get 10% off the gross, right? They get, if, if there's a hundred grand coming in on the show, they're getting 10 grand no matter what. 
doesn't matter if that show sells out or doesn't. If you're managing and you're getting 15% off of, you know, uh, the way I structure it is I take 15% or whatever that agreed upon number is on 80% of the gross, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's about 20, 18 to 22% is kind of your average production cost that, that I've found. And that was after going through it with a few different business management firms and really, you know, buckling down and saying, what is that average and how can we maximize, you know, that doesn't said that you're running at an 80% profit. It's saying that there's a certain amount the band has to stand behind. There's a certain amount you have to stand behind with them. Right. Um, But you're the, you know, you're not getting paid on that. And at the same time, you're the person that after the band walks off stage, if there's nobody there, they're not calling their booking agent going like, what the hell just happened? Why did I play this show in this room? And, you know, that's degenerating. They're calling your their manager and saying, dude, you need to get on a plane and get out here. When you um, you kind of mentioned that you got fired uh, back then, um, and you, and you said you should have fought harder for that. What what did you mean by that? And you don't have to get into the deep specifics, but just overall from a, I guess, a philosophical perspective, if a manager is getting fired, uh, it, you're, you're kind of saying in your, in your case, you could have said, no, 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 wait, there's a misunderstanding, and here's why you guys still need me, that kind of thing. Is that what you were um, alluding to? Um, yeah, on some level, that's what I'm saying. I'm also saying that, you know, when you get, when you go through that kind of a battle with human beings getting to that point from Maxwell's to Madison Square Garden, right? Um, you know each other. You know what makes each other tick. You know what everybody wants to hear. You know what everybody wants to see and feel. And as a manager, you know, some of our, a lot of our skill set boils down to salesmanship, doesn't it? Or convincing people to take a chance. Mm-hmm. on either the artist or on this performance or on, you know, um, getting opening for Green Day or con- convincing the artist that opening for Green Day is a great idea or et cetera. So I, I probably could have pushed back when that happened instead of, you know, it happened, <laughs> it happened the day after one of their weddings and the night before everything was all good. And I, I realized now that that's just how that had to be. Um, and the morning after, I got a phone call, and they said, "Hey, we're you know we're going to move on." And I said, "Well, good luck with that." And I hung up the phone, and I called their lawyer, and I said, "What is that?" And she said, "Well, that went quick." And then we went into the legal end of it. At that point, instead of saying good luck with that and then calling the lawyer, I should have gotten on a plane and gone to where they were. Right? That that would have changed that in my head. Um, but again my stubbornness or my arrogance or just my complacency with life, right? The, or, and, and hurt, right? There's some shame and pain in that. Um, but the ability to look at that and go, Hey, you, you are part of that. You need to go get what's yours. And you need to put it back together and you need to suck it up. It's something I didn't do enough of is what I would say. Which sounds like you were probably a little burned out too. I mean, it, the fact that you retired after that is just from here sounds like a mix of hurt, shame, but also you're just burned out and you just needed a break too. And maybe that was, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was 17 years in the nonstop yeah. grind, mm-hmm. right? Um, 16 at least. So, yeah, it's pretty burned out. I mean, those are 18 to 20 hour days every single day. 
and uh, I had some substance abuse issues that I had to deal with and had dealt with throughout, so that became uh, glaringly obvious that I needed to actually deal with the underlying causes of those and not just the symptoms of those mm-hmm. um, or the, the actions of those. So, you know, I think there was a lot of that that went on, and I think that um, looking back now, I, I'm still a huge believer that the universe doesn't do anything that it's not supposed to do. And, and so here I sit, right? I have a beautiful daughter. I have a great life. Uh, I've never not eaten. I've never not slept in a bed, right? There are people who have it way worse. And in the biggest scheme of things, uh, it's a vanity business, right? It's a business that it still drives the economy and, and still has a um, responsibility to its kind of ecosystem, but it, it's definitely based on... Uh, and vanity, right? It's not, and that's not meant as a negative. It's, it's simply my view of it is um, we're not in the uh, humanitarian humanitarian aid business, right? Where we are on a psychological level sometimes with certain artists, we can through contributions, but that's not what we wake up and do every day, right? So we we do things that provide value in other ways to people's lives, and I love that part of it, right? That's you know, the, the Ariana Grande moving that happened is such a bummer to me because my favorite thing to do as a manager is to go stand up outside the front doors of the venue as people are walking out and see what their reaction to the show yeah. was and pick up on that culture and, you know, to imagine that happening at a place. I mean, Mike Hem played that place, I think, twice, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe three times. Um, to imagine that happening to those kids after a show like that it's just it's just gross man right Mm -hmm. it's it's disgusting and you know at the same time you have to keep going right it's the world we live in yeah Mm -hmm. people unite together you know to make the best out of all those things too and yeah oftentimes yeah oftentimes i mean it, it does bring culture together and uh you hear some great stories out of it. It's still really sad along the way, right? But yeah, and um, like Mike Hem got started because of nine eleven, essentially. You know, correct. And yeah. who knows, like, what would have happened? You know, that band really means a lot to millions and million, millions of people. You know, it's, it's yeah, crazy no, how like something like that knows, triggers that. You know, you know? look, it, it, everything happens for a reason, and, and I'm not saying that it's an acceptable reason. Um, but all of those things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if the, wor- if the world got Mike Hem uh, as one small slice of, res- you know, uh, of um, 9-11, not, it, it, it's such apples and pears. It's not even apples and oranges. Like, it's so far apart. But, you know, if, if four kids' lives were changed and, and they weren't suicidal as a result, of listening to Mike Hem's music, does that does that okay everything that has happened leading up to that? No, but it certainly feels great to be a part of that, right? Mm-hmm. So, we have about five minutes yeah. left. Um, couple couple quick questions. One, just to, to finish out the the firing part, we had Mark Goodman on the show, and um, the worst interview he ever did with somebody was with David Bowie. And basically, David Bowie said he and MTV were racists, and it's uh, it's all it's all over YouTube, and it was 
the worst uh, experience of his professional life, and we talked about it. And then I asked him another question, <laughs> and he kept going, <laughs> do, do we have to keep talking about the worst experience of my life? So did you have in your contract with the band a sunset clause? Because I've talked to different managers, and some say those work. Uh, some say they don't do anything, you know, so. Uh, you ready for this one? Hmm. I don't do contracts with my bands. Oh, okay. If you don't want me working for you, then a piece of paper is not going to stop that, right? I try to do fair business with everybody. Um, I try to lay out the terms, certainly verbally, but at least on an email somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but I think contracts are a waste of time. I think that people do grow in different directions. I think that if... You know, if I'm not doing my job, you shouldn't be beholden to pay me sunset money for the rest of my life. Um, but at the same time, in in my chem's case, um, part of the hang up after that was figuring that kind of stuff out. Right. I had physically designed T-shirts and photoshops. I had physically done things, you know, and created things that were copyrights, basically. Or, and, you know, they weren't getting those for free at that point only because the principle of it, right? It wasn't because I needed the money. It was simply that I didn't, you know, in the same same reason that we were kind of the first 360 or 270, I guess, deal um, that was really ever done. Um, you don't want to set a precedent, a precedent that isn't enforceable, I guess, right? that doesn't make sense, that doesn't take care of everybody involved because it takes so many people. So... In the end, yes, I, I was I was paid in perpetuity um, for the rest of my life. Uh, we ended up a few years ago because the money, just the amount of kind of work that went into the accounting on that period was just so like mundane and boring and and a little overwhelming. And they weren't really active anymore. Um, we just settled. They wrote me a lump sum to go away, and that was fine. It was fair. Right. Uh, I, I don't begrudge them anything on the business side or the personal side at this point. Um, I've spent time with all of them. I still text with Mikey, who just had a baby as well. Um, so, you know, all was good there. But, yeah, no, I don't do contracts. And, and I do I think that sunset clauses work? I think if you do your job right, then you shouldn't be getting fired. Good. Okay. And uh, just a uh, final question for you is uh you and i spoke when we initially spoke i'd asked you the question about what's the single most important aspect of the music industry that an artist manager needs to understand and you, and you mm -hmm. gave a pretty cool answer you said uh that the person needs to be one third foot soldier one third fireman and one third psychologist um yep. can you kind of explain what that what you meant when you said that yeah, I say it all the time. It's one-third shrink, one-third firefighter, one-third foot soldier. It's kind of in that order, right? So um, you have a finite amount of time in every single day. Um, artists have different needs. And at any given point, you're 66% firefighter, and the other third gets split amongst the foot soldier, psychi psychologist, psychiatrist role. Um, look, it, artists are special. They're touched, I would say. Um, they have needs or emotional um, developmental things that have not occurred or for some reason will not occur sometimes. Um, so you need, you certainly need to understand how to talk to them and get them to, 
to be okay with being great, right? It's a really tricky thing to tell somebody that it's okay to take chances and be vulnerable because an artist's sole job is to reach deep in their soul, skin their darkest kind of fears, secrets, whatever they may be, in some sort of lyrics or some sort of guitar solo or some sort of something, and then put it out there for the world to judge them. 100% be judged. It's, so you have to teach them that that's okay. Um, or encourage them, I should say, not teach. Um, and support them in that and be able to navigate that with them. And oftentimes they'll get very depressed or they'll get very angry or they'll get very excited. And all three of those have their specific uh, implications, right? If, if they're super depressed, then they're not going to be very productive. If they're super excited and happy, then they're going to think they've made it and they're not going to work as hard. If they're super angry, it's going to be combative and the band's potentially going to in, internally combust, right? Um, so that's that on the, the kind of shrink side. The firefighter side is there's never going to be a day in your career where something doesn't go different than how you planned it or goes wrong or, you know, starts getting ahead of it or you have to change a single and the promo staff doesn't want to yet, but all of the numbers say that you're going to, or MTV calls because, you know, the the standards and practices won't allow a certain part of your video in, and you've already, you know, printed the color on it, so you have to go back and spend another 30 grand or whatever to redo something. Like, there's always going to be those days, and, and walking through that fire with a hose is really kind of essential. And then the foot soldier is, look, nobody's going to do it for you, right? Nobody's... There's nothing that will happen if I don't push the ball up the hill every single day. The artist can write the record, but once the record's in, there's a reason that managers have jobs, and that's to push the ball. Artists don't know how to do that. Some think they know how to do that. Some are very wise about it, but they don't know how to kind of keep all the plates spinning all the time. And that's what I would say that boils down to. is like you have to just be able to be one-third each of those. Keep your... Keep your head on the swivel and figure out which one's the next logical step in the sequence, right? Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, Nick, any final questions um, from the big My Chemical Romance fan? Anything you're dying to ask? Um, not really. I think I, you've answered a lot of the questions that I had. Really interesting uh, stuff, yeah. Okay, great. Marconi. Yes. <laughs> Any final questions for, for, yes. for, for Dr. Brian Schechter? No, I'm pretty uh, satisfied. Okay. Christina. I so. I know I ramble a lot. But, no, it was uh, excellent. Christina Roof, any, any last questions? I mean, I actually do have a, que which, <laughs> a which, question. Yay. I just wanted <laughs> I just wanted to hear a little bit more about Palisades. I mean, are, are we expecting anything good happening coming soon? If you could... No, it's all bad. No, but like... <laughs> Damn right, you're new. expecting something good there happening. There you go. Awesome. Oh, so look, Palisades is, is an amazing band. Um, those dudes work as hard as my chem, which is, again, rare. I think that people are conditioned to work differently um, in, in 2017 than they were previously. Uh, they're going out with One OK Rock this summer. They're doing Reading and Leeds for the first time. They're doing... Uh, Festivals in Louisville and festivals in Houston and festivals in, in Connecticut. All big kind of active rock, five-finger death punch, raw festivals. <laughs> um, you know, there there was a lot of so. 
there was a lot of talk about them doing Warped this summer, oh, that'd and be I cool. I didn't want them to do Warped this summer because it, it, there's again I could break down the economics of that mm. and how that doesn't work out for bands in the early days, right? Could you could you uh, do that real quick? What's that? Could you break that down real quick and explain why you don't okay. think? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, Warped on I've done Warped nine times, right? And I love Kevin, and I love what Warped is for people. So I don't ever want that. <laughs> Let's get that out in the open. I think that, I mean, Kevin Lyman has single-handedly kept kids safe in the summer since 1994, five. 94, um, yeah. Yeah, right? So how many times every single day go to that show and safe haven away from all kinds of potential trouble per day. So um, here's the problem with it if you're a band. If you're an artist and you can pay, let's say, even a 1000 bucks for an easy round number, and it's 42 shows, and it's 42, uh, 42 shows over 50 dates or whatever. So you have 50 days that you have to be out there either in a bus or getting hotels or in a van or paying for fuel, paying for per diems, et cetera. Um, so if you're paying per diems and, and you have five guys in a band and you have a guitar attack and a merch person you have seven people in a van right so now all of a sudden to, to kind of per diem on the per diem side you're at 140 bucks a day coming off the top if you're getting a thousand bucks you're at a hundred bucks coming off the top for a booking agency you're at 240 bucks so now all of a sudden you're down to 760 so show to show you probably have at least 150 bucks in gas Right, so now you're down to uh, $610, right? Uh, if you get one hotel room that everybody shares, that's another 120 bucks on average, right? So now you're down to, I've lost my math, but you're somewhere in the 490 or 510 range, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it just keeps trickling down. So after all that, then a manager comes in and takes their 15 or 20%, and you're down, and based on kind of that number that's left or the 80% number of that, so... If I'm taking 20% or let's say 15% of the 80% is, uh, so I'm taking 15% on the 800, so that 80, it's 120 bucks on that. So now we're down in the 300 range, -ish, yep. right? Uh, and then there's other expenses that will come up along the way. There just are, and there's insurance that you have to have, and there's just maintenance and van and oil change and gear. You're, you're hopefully breaking even, and that's at 1000 bucks. Most mm -hmm. of those bands aren't getting paid a thousand bucks, and most of those bands aren't worth a thousand dollars, right? So if you're only getting six hundred and fifty dollars, then you can see how quickly that becomes a negative, and you're in the red, and you're you're out there grinding it out on a stage in the parking lot with you know lack of focus from the the fans, right? You're trying to peddle your merch all day. You're eating when you can. You're you know you're up. You don't know what time you're playing. So it just all of a sudden becomes. <clears throat> It becomes not a wise business thing to do if you don't have to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in the case of Palisades, I thought, well, somebody's going to go out this summer, and if everybody's on Warped and there's no other support available, then Palisades is going to be available, mm -hmm. right? And so they're going out, and while financially it's not much difference um, if they would have done Warped or not, what is a huge difference is that I have, you know, I don't know, anywhere from 1,300 to 2,500 kids every single night divided, undivided attention for 35 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't, if you break down your CPMs on Facebook ads even and what you're spending, if you're spending 80 cents an impression for a two-minute kind of thing or to, to get a like or to watch a three-and-a-half-minute video, 
now all of a sudden you start doing the math and, and your marketing expense becomes going out and doing this show, right? Because you have 35 minutes that you get to showcase live music, which I said earlier is the best marketer of music still, right? In my opinion. So that gives the chance, the band the chance to go earn their future, right? Go prove your point. Go do your thing. So that's why I shy away from Warped unless it's, it's necessary. And I oftentimes think it's necessary for certain bands, but you gamble, right? Mm-hmm. So they may do Warped next summer, but they'll be worth more money. So now if they're worth, you know, X amount more per show, then that number goes up. And then each of those guys in that band will walk away with money in their pocket instead of walk away, walking away with having to pay in to keep the show on the road, right? Mm-hmm. They oh, actually just played that's here. That's the economics on that. Yeah, they uh, they played here not too long ago. I'm pretty you're probably yeah, we've had aware Palisades of that. here, William Patterson, a couple times, as you know. They played here in early April, I believe, and then we had them yep. on, a, on a panel. Oh, by the way, we haven't uh, thanked Matt Young from Warner Music Artist Services. He's the guy who hooked us up with you in the first place. Oh, cool. So uh, we want to give yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt a shout out. Matt is a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. Yeah, he's a great Matt, guy. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm. 16 years in on Matt at this point. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great, great guy. Great, great business mind. Uh, really smart and has really transformed uh, in the Warner Music Artist Services, which I think was sound screen at first. And it was, you know, he, he's just really transformed that. So mm-hmm. it's, I'm really happy for him and for that company, right? It's, I don't know what he wants annual grosses over there but it's not um it's in the nine figures at this point so yeah pretty good yeah and i know palisades is on rise records is that through ada distributed through ada it's through bmg through ada yeah so bmg Uh now owns rise and and i have to tell you right so if i could sign every band i ever worked with with rise records i would why is that and that's saying a lot that label is hands down just the best that I've ever worked with and the relationship that I have with them is so simple and so you know there's no posturing or politics or this or that we say, we each do what we're going to say and say what we're going to do and it's it's really an amazing relationship so they, they get a big shout out and, and they'll be very instrumental in Palisade's future right and to go back to that so you know so that's what's going on with Palisades through the end of the summer, beginning of fall, and then we'll, we'll figure out. There's a couple other announcements coming out that I can't talk about, um, and hopefully we can get them back to William Patterson to actually do an electric performance because I know <laughs> last time we had to do it acoustic, yeah, yeah, um, right. which you know says a lot about their musicianship. Musicianship, that's a tongue twister. Um, so yeah, I, okay. I hope that I covered enough thank you guys so much for having me on i you know i wish i had maybe formulated my thoughts a little better but here we are no i think you did a very good job do, you, yeah. do we think you did a good job yeah we did a very good job hey brian Schechter. I, feel, I feel so validated <laughs> that's right one day olive is going to like listen back to this podcast and say daddy you were so awesome back then <laughs> what happened <Good> daddy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, so this was cool. And we, we have to, um, when uh, Palisades was here last fall, we had a uh, panel, a music business panel. And uh, I know Lou and three of the guys were involved in that. And uh, we have to get them here to be on the radio show because they had uh, expressed interest in that. So we'll bug 
them and you about that as well. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you'll have to reach out to the management. <laughs> you have to, have to find out how to get in touch with that guy. They're tricky. They're evasive, those little yeah, buggers. <laughs> cool. Well, well, Brian, right thank on. you very much. Really appreciate it, and uh, we'll yep. stay in touch with you, all right? Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, yep. Brian, Thanks check, check your everybody. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. All right, Marconi. So that was uh, an extra Music Biz 101. That was an and more as well. We went a little bit over yeah. this week because Very good. we could. Yeah, there was some good stuff. Very good stuff. And, and as, as a, Nick, as a My Chemical Romance fan, did you get something out of that interview? Was it giving you something that you didn't know? Uh, yeah, for sure. Because especially coming from like a band that I'm in from Jersey and everything, mm-hmm. it really means a lot too, especially because Palisades is from Jersey as well. So it's cool to hear what he's had to do um, with my chem and the fact that he talked about not having a contract is actually really eye-opening mm-hmm. and um i don't know i find that really uh that really says a lot about a manager that doesn't have a contract with their artist because it shows a lot of trust and uh just with them it really means i, I don't know to me as a fan that really mm-hmm. means a lot that they had that sort of relationship together i still question that that idea about no no contract harvey leeds was on who, well, who, and he doesn't do contracts, and he got screwed by a band as well. Yes, but he also said here, Brian, that he did do an email, which is basically a, a, a right. contract memo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like a deal. Once it's in writing, and uh, listen, if he's getting a sunset, like he says, in he the end, is, he did get something. Yeah, yeah, he got it. So it worked out for him. And what's interesting was he was going to get paid in per- perpetuity. Right. But because the revenue, the band's broken up, long broken up, mm-hmm. and it's just catalog, and it shows that the physical is so a lot of whole lot of very little now that he just got paid off because down yeah. the line there's mm-hmm. yeah, getting paid on streaming is not gonna yeah well it was yeah. platinum band I mean mm-hmm. so, yeah they yeah. were selling out everything you know. yeah so. all right well this is a platinum podcast I think yes yeah this is gonna go go platinum or, or at least at least glue. So, so I see you have your swim trunks on. Yeah, I'm wearing. Well, it's Woo! a it's sort of a thong, but uh, swim yeah. trunks. Yeah, looks good. Yeah, I, I'm looking hot right now, and uh, I see I'm that you're ready to uh, go on vacation. Yeah, yeah, I got this will for twelve now. weeks plus. Yeah, twelve weeks in Hawaii. Oh, right, but that does not mean that the show is not going to be on. No. Every week there will be a new show. And the show the must go on. Yes, and the show will go on. Music Biz 101 in the morning, Brave New Radio 88.7 WPSC. And our next live show will be in, in September. Yes, uh, September 8th or 9th or something like that. But yes, so it's going to be uh, the second week of September. So that's it. Okay. Yeah, so there we go. So, uh, Christina Roof, thank you for filling in for the awesome Ashley Weltner. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for all the Nick. Spiller, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for being here. Yeah, you're you in school here. today, and you came anyway. So yep. thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> Doctor Esteban, it was awesome to have you here. You, you don't have to be here, but you're here in your thong. Why am I not have to be here? Because you're not getting paid for this, and you there's aren't no contract. Either. But let's say we put another year under our belt. That's right. Very well, good. I wear suspenders, so another year under my suspenders. Yes, your strap. <laughs> <laughs> my, my jock strap, actually. Yes. That's what I'm wearing, my athletic Okay, support. we're ready to end now. Okay, that's, that's enough of that. So we want to thank everybody for listening again. Thanks to Matt Young. Thanks to Rob Fusari. We're going to listen to Don't Let Love Down on the out. And then we're also going to want to thank uh, Aaron Van Dyne, people in Music Biz, every guest we had over the last school year. And we want to thank you. So come back in September, but keep listening every week, 8 p.m., WPSC. 
live shows. Yes, because we'll be listening. That's right, we will be. So at the end of every show, we do not say hello. That would be silly because it's the end of every show. So you know what we say at the end of every show, Christina? I think you do. (laughs) At the count of three, you're going to do it with us. Ready? Three, two, one. So no. 